the insurance company's goal is if to keep people out of the hospital so they save money because that's where the expense are or to keep them as uh, for example if somebody's diabetic if we can keep you on a on a medication you take a pill that you take for your diabetes and help bring it down that's much cheaper than you going to insulin and and Jamie I didn't realize how much insulin cost um I, I, <laughs> yeah I, I, I think you used to pay it right um but what's interesting is that patients don't know they they may say gosh my insulin's costing me five hundred dollars a month but the total cost of insulin is at probably three thousand a month and and so if you're a diabetic then it, your insurance carrier is paying out that other twenty five hundred dollars a month for you as a patient this is the disrupted podcast with scott middleton each week, Scott shares how he uses the leadership principle of disruption to keep his companies growing and moving in the right direction. Let's get started. Welcome to the Disruptive Podcast. My name is Jamie Preston, and today, once again, we have our Chief Disruption Officer, Scott Middleton. How you doing, Scott? Hey, good morning, Jamie. It's great. Awesome, awesome. Scott, what have you been into this week? You know, so um, I just got off a call, and so I have to kind of revamp a little bit um, about what I'm going to talk about today, because um, on this call this morning, we were talking about a class that we started, um, and it's a billing and coding class. And so um, the, we're, we're, bringing back, we're bringing in providers that we know have uh, concerns about how they do billing and coding. And so really, it, you know, in, in healthcare, it, it's all about the proper documentation and what we're trying to help our uh, providers understand is that it's not always the volume of documentation and so some of them think oh I've written a whole book you know here uh, but that's not what it's really about um, from a coding and billing standpoint um, our coders are looking at first of several things like this meet does this meet this criteria in order to get them to this particular level or code? Mm -hmm. And providers get paid based on the intensity and the complexity of the code or on the time of the visit. And so there's just a lot of moving parts to it and trying to get those providers where they need to be. So an example would be um, we have uh, providers who are going into the home and the average charge right now well, let's just say if, if an average charge of a really good biller is going to be around $350 to $450. Right. So if we go to your house and we do an intense visit and we stay there for 70 minutes, I mean, it gets that specific, um, then this is what you're going to get paid. And and the interesting piece of it is a lot of providers go, golly, that's just so expensive. Or a patient may say, wow, that's so expensive. But remember, they're not paying it. I mean, they may pay a small portion of it, a copay or a, dedu a deductible, sure. if they, if you know. But it's not like that's coming out of their pocket. But what they don't understand is that on the other side, here's what the insurance company wants. The insurance company's goal is if to keep people out of the hospital so they save money mm -hmm. because that's where the expense are or to keep them as uh, for example if somebody's diabetic if we can keep you on a on a medication you take a pill that you take for your diabetes and help bring it down that's much cheaper than you going to insulin sure and 
And Jamie, I didn't realize how much insulin costs. It's um, expensive. I, I, yeah, I, I used to pay. I, I used to pay it. <laughs> you used to pay it, right? Um, but what's interesting is that patients don't know. They they may say, "Gosh, my insulin's costing me five hundred dollars a month," mm -hmm. but the total cost of insulin is at probably three thousand a month. Yeah, and and so if you're a diabetic, then it, your insurance carrier is paying out that other twenty five hundred dollars a month mm -hmm. for you as a patient. Yep. Um, so, so how important is it? How many visits? How many times do they really care? So we, we have a patient right now in our practice who um, is, is a diabetic, and we are seeing him four times a month. Right. So we see him two times in person in his home, and we see him two times for a telemedicine visit. So at the end of the day, we're billing you know, probably – Twelve hundred dollars, of which we'll get eighty percent of that versus and sixty percent of that, or something, you know. Mm -hmm. But but it boils down probably about a thousand dollars a month that that insurance company is paying us for that patient. Right. Um, but we are very close to getting him off of insulin. Yeah, that's going to be numbers. It is, and we're because we're changing up things, looking at him, coaching him on diet and exercise. Mm -hmm. The guy is now out there walking four miles a day wow. because our providers have been encouraging him to do that. And so, it, our, our goal is to get him from being insulin dependent. But even at that amount, even if he stays on insulin, we're changing that insulin amount, which is reducing the cost, sure. and it's well worth it. To the yeah. insurance company, but gosh, think of the life-changing events that we're doing for this patient. Yeah, um, and and I've and I've, I've taken you know this I've taken insulin before, um, and it, and it is not fun to have to stick yourself twice a day, you know, or, or sometimes for some people four and five times a day, it is such a headache. You, you know, then and then if you're on a trip, you're traveling, you're trying to you know. Uh, navigate that. Then you got to find a place to cool your insulin. It is a big headache uh, to deal with, and, and I can't imagine the freedom that he's seen from that. So, so think about this from an employer standpoint too, Jamie. I mean, that just kind of hit me from an employer standpoint. So, for you to go out and and have the surgery was an mm -hmm. expense to the company, right? Right. right. But, and and you and you know how much that cost. Yeah, I do. But. <laughs> we, but but we'll the company will save that much in a year yeah. on your insulin. Absolutely, exactly. So you know how many, how many companies that won't pay for that surgery? That's ridiculous. Down 115 pounds. Um, I was I was. You know some of the you know tangible ways you can see that it changes your life. I was I'm walking steps like it's nothing, and and I've got equipment on my back. I've got I probably had a hundred pounds of equipment on my back the other day, um, walking up three flights of stairs, and I was fine. You know so you know from it's literally life changing for people, and and then to not have to take all that medication is just unbelievably um, freeing, to say the least. Yeah. So. So healthcare is 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 starting to shift, and I think more people are understanding it. Um, but it, it it's very been very difficult to try to get all the way back to where those providers change the way they practice medicine. Sure. And 
that's been a, a real struggle for folks that come into our organization and company because we are so proactive and right. and looking at the bigger picture and not just what's going on with this patient that day. Um, but anyway, great, great success story uh, with this class that we've been doing on billing and coding. So the, and it's being taught by coders, which is kind of interesting. Mainly, the coders right. get in there and they talk about it, and and then the, and I remember Candace yesterday on several occasions kept saying, "Remember, coders are not clinicians. They mm -hmm. don't understand anything about what you're writing. They are looking for these bits and pieces to determine if you met these measures. Sure. That measures that were set up and guided and guide or guided by Medicare." which did have clinicians and coders, you know, as a part of that. So we were talking, um, we were going through a list of providers on this call today, and um, we, have a, we have a revenue management call. And it's really not about, uh, it's really about looking at everything, including how we make sure our providers are billing and coding correctly. So we had a, um, we had a guy said, look at this guy. He's He's billing at $221 as his average charge for visit and sees all the patients in the home. And um, somebody said, well, wait a minute. Do you know he came to our class last week and, um, and he has increased his billing by $100 per wow. person? <laughs> so, so then, and, and some people may be listening to this going, oh, my God, well, that poor patient or Medicare or insurance. Right. But, but here's the interesting thing. We had a woman yesterday who a majority of her, her she was, again, in the $200 range is what she's, she's billing. And most of her visits were these low levels. So mm -hmm. we, we basically bill four levels, one, two, three, or four, and, and uh, for each patient based on the complexity of the patient and the decision-making that had to go into it. So she's billing a lot of twos. A one, a one, a provider, a nurse can do. I mean, like, a right. nurse could have performed that service and the, and the physician bills for it. A two is just above a nurse. Mm -hmm. So this person's been going out and seeing patients that were, uh, and uh, that we get from the hospital, um, before they are going in for a surgery. Sure. And so she's going out to do a pre-surgical screening as a general practitioner. And she also does COVID testing for them and things. Well, in her head, she was going for to, to do COVID testing, and she was charged in the level two. These are pre-surgery patients. Right. So think about, I'm getting ready to go in under the knife, and, and I have multiple diagnoses. Somebody should be looking at all of these. And the only thing, the specialist who's going to do the surgery, the surgeon has probably looked at some things, but most of these patients don't have a general practitioner. Mm -hmm. And so nobody's looked at all the issues. We actually saved the lady's life because we went out and the provider said, this doesn't look right. I'm going to order this lab. And she ordered a lab that would not have been ordered in the hospital for this patient before they got, um, before they had surgery. And uh, she was, she had to stop the surgery because had she been gone into surgery, she would have died. Wow. And, and that, and that lab would have just never been pulled and they would have said, oh, this is a terrible thing but we didn't know. Um, so so the, this provider is sitting there going, but these are level twos. And I said, but here's the way the insurance company looks at it. You go out and you have all these level two visits, which means that you didn't dig into the complexity of this patient. Mm. And then all of a sudden they see them hospitalized. Yeah. They, they see you as a bad provider. Yep. But the insurance companies deem you are terrible because you keep going to see these patients 
and you and they all end up hospitalized. That should be a highest complexity visit that you can do with a patient if they're getting ready to go under the knife. Yeah, I mean, if you're going into the hospital to get surgery, there's definitely something wrong. <laughs> so, you know, you're not the healthiest person at that point. You know, and depending on the surgery, I get, you know, but you're not a healthy person at that point in time. You're Not that you can't be, but, yeah, it doesn't. it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, so but the provider was seeing it opposite. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm assuming the surgeon's already done all this stuff. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not. And and what was even worse is that she wasn't having the conversation with advan- about advanced care planning. Hmm. Yeah. Not very often. And and so, um, you know, when I was a preacher years ago, um, the, the rule was, and it probably still is, if somebody goes into the hospital, then you, you as the pastor, you go see them before they're going into the hospital, if you know they are. Mm-hmm. But as soon as they go in the hospital, you're there. Yeah. And, and so um, the reason you go, I think a lot of our pastors forgot about this, but the reason we go to a hospital is because back in the day, people who went to the hospital were all dying. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know? Or they had a 90% chance of dying if they were going to the hospital. Mm. So you wanted to go make sure they were right with the Lord before they, before this happened. Sure. Um, so, so today it's probably less relevant because you're going in and out. But at the same time, as I saw with my dad, um, he had, he had surgery and, and an accident occurred yeah. uh, during the surgery. And he lost seven feet of his small intestines because of that accident right. um, in surgery. Um, and, and I don't, think it could have been prevented. I don't blame the surgeon surgeon for that. I'm not, you know, but, but this, and the surgeon reacted and responded appropriately when, when it happened. Uh, but it did happen and my dad could have died. Right. And, and so, um, it was, he, was he, had he done everything he needed to do? Did he really truly understand that? And, um, I'm not sure he did. And and so I, I felt pretty bad about it. I haven't talked to him about it because he would say, oh, no, it was all fine. But, um, but you know, he had not seen his general practitioner, you know, in the, well, actually, no, I take that back. Do- Dr. Hook saw him uh, right before he went to see the surgeon. And Dr. Hook asked him a lot of those questions about what do you want out of life and mm-hmm. do you want to be aggressive with this and that kind of thing. So he walked him through some of that. But the surgeon never did that. Right. The surgeon didn't have the advanced care plan with him, and he probably should have, but yeah. at least his general practitioner had already done that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think we just have to, uh, we've we got to change a mindset. And, and you know, I don't blame any of these providers one way or the other, and that's not the point. It's just that, you know, they've been trained one way or they've worked in a primary care um, or an urgent care setting with a lot of younger patients, and we start looking at the complexity of the patients we have. Uh, and that's what I was telling them yesterday. I don't know that of any patients we have that aren't highly complex. Yeah. Especially if we're going to see them at home. It's mm-hmm. a home visit. Why are we going to see them? They're pretty sick, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think they just they have to change their mindset of thinking, okay, I'm saving this person money by not billing them very much. You know, that no, you're saving that person money by you know, showing everything that's wrong with them, keeping them out of the hospital. That's where the money is. Um, and they've, they've just got to change that mindset. Yeah. 
Yeah, so my dad has an appointment today um, with the, the doc. He came, he came over the other day because we were a little concerned because he had some back pain and there could be some issues with the with this particular surgery, like mm-hmm. if, if he was having a leak or something, it would cause back pain. And right. so we said, well, let's just get him checked out. So he came over and checked him out. I'm, I'm anxious to see how much he billed him. It was it was technically a highly complex visit. It just didn't take him very long to do it. Right. Um, but uh, then then uh, the practitioner is coming over again today, um, and he's going to um, help us do some dressing changes as well as do a physical exam for my dad. But um, I bet you because it's my dad and it's our practice, they're not going to bill it out as high as I know they should. Right. <laughs> <laughs> If Nate's listening to this before he comes over, today, <laughs> he needs to know I'm going to have somebody pull this visit. And see yeah. uh, I, I, I will email him. <laughs> uh, no, I'll, I'll give him heads up because I do think there's, you know, just being with my dad, I have, I have concerns, mm-hmm. you know, and so I know they're going to run labs today. Um, and, and, um, and follow-ups and stuff. But I think that, physical exam because I'd like to see my dad bouncing back as fast as possible mm-hmm. um, and if there's anything that's causing it not to but yeah just it, it, it's all about training like maybe it, it that that takes you into any any line of work that you do you sure. know uh, whether it's healthcare, whether it's hospitality like we, we do or anything you know are you how are you learning to make sure that you're paid what you're worth yeah too? absolutely yeah. yeah. And, and you said earlier, you know, coders aren't clinicians. Um, uh, you know, and I'm correct me if I'm wrong, you know, clinicians aren't coders either. So that training is so important to, to get them what they need. Yeah. So, so the most important thing I heard yesterday, which was kind of interesting, there's always this big push at the end of the month to get all the claims coded and out the door. And and for the last two, three months, we've had a really bigger issue of of that happening. But it wasn't because the coders, and that's and my first impression was, gosh, the coders are behind. We need to hire more coders. Um, but that wasn't really the issue. The issue is whether the, the claim had been closed out by the provider. Mm. And so there was a lot of our providers in our particular software. There's two things they have to click to close it out, and a lot of people were closing, clicking one, but not clicking two, um, or or the claim didn't get closed out because the coder looked at it, and let's just say um, the, the person said they did an advanced care plan, but we don't. The, they didn't document the number of minutes because that's you have to do that for an sure. advanced care plan. So they missed they missed the minutes, and so the the coder would send it back to the provider saying, I need you to put the minutes on here because the mm-hmm. coder just can't come in, you know, because they say they, they did. And and so that goes into what we call a P-code status. And and so if the provider doesn't change it, you know, and go back in and add it, then, um, then we wait three days. And if they haven't done anything with it, we push the claim mm-hmm. through. Yeah. So that provider misses out on a eighty or a hundred dollar charge. Same thing with a prolonged visit with a time code if they miss putting the time in. So we, we're sitting there waiting for them. Well, once that happens and we push that claim, not only did they lose that eighty or a hundred dollars toward their productivity, but we if it if it goes through a P code status, we don't give them credit for any of that towards their 
thresholds for their bonuses. Sure, absolutely. So, so this providers, I don't think, I, and I said, do you think all the providers really understand this? Um, you know, we we if they don't close their charts out within three within forty eight hours, then they don't or on average. So so it may be they have one open for a while because they don't want to do the final close because they're still thinking about it or they want to look at something, uh, which is okay. But if they don't average at least a 48-hour close time on their charts, then they lose part of their bonus. Mm. And so we had two providers last last month or two months ago that was supposed to get about a $3,000 bonus, and they got zero wow. because of their clark, their chart closure rates were so poor. Yeah. And and so we just can't put up with that. Um, so on, you know what what I but we build we build everything, mm-hmm. and and the, the company got the money. It's just that they're not getting credit for it. So trying to help them understand, but they get caught up sometimes in the minute. Right. We had a provider last week. He he was writing pages and pages of stuff, and he said, "I just don't understand it." But you know how much doc stuff I documented, and and the and the coder said, "Yes." but you didn't make a medical decision. And he said, yeah, I did. And she said, well, where did you write it down? Mm. (laughs) And he said, well, I wrote a prescription, you know, and I wrote orders for labs. And she said, but you didn't tell me in your documentation what the medical decision was. Yeah. Yes, I saw you wrote a lab. And so she sent it back to him and she said, so I don't need all this stuff. And he thought he was writing it for the coder. Because he didn't really need it either, and it really didn't. All that stuff was already in the chart. He was just summing up all the history, you know, of the of the patient from the day they were born, almost. Sure. So, uh, so he so he learned a valuable lesson. And he said, "So I don't need to write all this stuff." And she said, "Well, not for me as a coder. If you need to write it for yourself or for the other people who may look at this chart." And he said, "Well, I don't think that's important because they could find it just like I did." Mm-hmm. And she said, "Well, then don't." Down. And so he stopped doing that and just started putting keywords and phrases that he that would help him, but also would help um, any other provider, but but met the coding requirements. Yeah, right. Now, I know one of the things that's huge to you, Scott, is productivity. That is a big, big deal to you. Uh, yeah. This training, and, and I, I know a lot of other business leaders out there they cringe at the thought of bringing people in that, that should be in the field, you know, bringing in revenue, doing, doing that. They cringe at the sight of hearing this, that you're taking them out of the field, putting them in, a, in an office for eight hours when they could be billing, you know, so much more. Um, how do you rationalize that? Because I, I know that's a tough decision to make, and you can't, you got to be careful. There's a balance. But how do you, you are very big on education. Yeah, so um, so the the the, uh, the guy we were telling you came to the class last week, mm-hmm. and um, he increased his billing by a hundred dollars a person, and he sees about a hundred and twenty people um, a month. So he increased his billing by twelve thousand dollars by coming wow. to an eight-hour class. Yeah, so, so it's well worth it. So yeah. Over, yeah, so over the course of the year, I collected. I will will collect one hundred and forty-four thousand dollars more. And guess what? He isn't doing anything different. So mm. it's not like we're having to he's having to work more hours or we keep telling our providers you've got to work smarter, not harder, yeah. not faster, not more. 
Um, and so, yeah, that was that was that was worth the whole class. I mean, he, this guy paid for anybody who came. But we do tell our providers, look, we're we're not. I don't think we're I don't think we're paying them to come. So, I mean, I'm not saying, hey, you have to come and you have to come on your own time. This is to make you a better provider mm-hmm. and help you make more money. And so, a lot of the folks are are coming on their days off. Yeah. So they they're off this week and they're coming and putting the time in. So yeah, I'm a big promoter of education, um, but it's like our apprenticeship programs. We mm-hmm. don't pay them to be in the apprenticeship. Like we don't pay them when the, the apprenticeship education is on their own time for the most part. Yeah. If, if we have, a, if we have a big meeting, we say, Hey, you have to come, but you're supposed to be doing all that work for apprenticeships on your own time. Sure. But at the end of that, then we do compensate you by giving you an increase um, in your your pay or your bonus or your system, and that's a federal guideline program. Yeah, that does that. So it's not like we're cheating people, but, but that's the way the programs are set up by the federal government. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, if if we get people educated, we're going to be better and and we're going to do more. That's why I've encouraged people to go back and get their masters. And so somebody said, so like, what what does that do for you? And I said, let me tell you, it's more for than after they're they finished um and so what we found is that when products and they usually use the projects of something that is going on in our company mm. and you know we had like will did the the project and it was a group project he got other people helping him and other companies that you know from school that that did and looked at the statistics of of the hospitalizations where mm-hmm. we discovered a ratio of at least three visits um, a month, at least uh, three different providers being seen, that patient being seen over time, and uh, at least two telehealth medicines means zero hospitalization rate. Right. Great data for us to use. Yeah. And, and just that information was probably worth the amount of time and money we paid because we don't pay for the master's program. But uh, they get a five percent um, increase in their salary when they finish it. Yeah, actually, right. it's more than that. Five, it's five when they get halfway through, and another three when they finish. So they really it's get 8%. about it. The three is on top. Of, well, but the three is on top of the five percent already increased. So it's really about a nine percent. Hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> which yeah. yeah, which is great. I think it's definitely an incentive. So if you're part of the company, you want to go back and get your master's degree, there you go. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't pay for undergrads uh, right now because I feel like that that's a that's just something you ought to come to the company with. Sure. Um, I encourage it. But I've had a lot of folks who said, hey, I want to go to nursing school. Will you pay for it? Nope. But when you when you finish your nursing program, you're going to make forty thousand dollars more a year. <laughs> Why would you not want to do that? Yeah, you exactly. Know, money, go to school, pay it back. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Scott, this has been great. Thank you so much for your time. All right. Thanks, everybody. Y'all have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Disruptive Podcast with Scott Middleton. Follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter at the Disruptive Podcast. You can also help us out by giving us a five-star rating. Thanks for listening.